From the creators of the hit kids podcast, Who Smarted, and Netflix's Brainchild, comes the adventurous world of mysteries about true histories, affectionately known as math. Every episode follows Max and Molly. I got to say, love the name Max. That's my my puppy dog's (laughs) name. Uh, Who have just recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs. It actually makes learning pretty cool. Yeah. Now, I listened to this with my son, and it was so fun to listen to. I loved how modern it was with a cool ant that they really dug, and like they dealt with bullies. Uh, My son also enjoyed all the math involved. Like He thought it was really cool. Well, and I have to say, I love anything that brings learning and fun together for kids. I really, really wish that something like this was around for my teens when they were younger. We would have absolutely devoured this on our car trips. It would have been amazing. It's perfect for kids ages six and up, and new episodes drop every Thursday. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Hello, hello, and welcome to the No Guilt Mom podcast. I'm your host, Joanne Crone, and I'm joined by my fantastically amazing co-host, Bree Tucker. Well, hello, hello, everybody. We have a great conversation for everybody today. Oh, it was just, it was phenomenal. And I have to say, like, getting on with uh, this author, her name is Shannon Brescher Shea, and she writes about how parents can encourage their kids to be more sustainable and environmentally friendly. But she goes deeper than that, which I really like. She does. She does. I loved her, how she talked about how being a green parent isn't necessarily something that is being a good parent, that you can do both. You can do both and still succeed. And she had so many amazing ideas. She makes something that seems so big seem so achievable. Yeah. And her whole mission is about raising kind and engaged and resilient kids. And it really goes in with the No Guilt Mom mission of creating these independent, self-sufficient kids who learn to do stuff on their own and are responsible. And, you know, she takes it one step further and that they also care about the environment and the communities around them. Right, right. And she had like really good examples. One of the stories she tells is about how they went hiking. And yeah, how one of her kids son saved, saved her, her life. life. So you yes. got, you have to listen to that. This is Shannon Brescher Shea. She's the author of the Environmental Parenting Advice Book, Growing Sustainable Together, Practical Resources to Raise Kind, Engaged, Resilient Children. And through her book and blog, We'll Eat You Up, We Love You So, she offers practical advice on green living while not shying away from utter failures, which I really enjoy reading about other people's utter failures because I don't feel alone. Yeah, exactly. Learning their mistakes, people. Learning their mistakes. Shannon lives in the (laughs) suburbs of Washington, D.C. with her family, and I hope you enjoy our conversation with her. This episode is supported by the DOT planning system, which is a phenomenal planning system for your middle schooler that not only gives them a planner, but teaches them exactly how to use it. Wow. Something that's going to help my child be accountable for their homework and actually teach them life skills such as time management and planning? Exactly. I mean, I've mentioned it on this podcast before, but the reason I created Dot was we were sitting in the middle school gym. 
at sixth grade parent orientation, and the principal is here telling parents what you can do to get your child ready for middle school. And these lists of things he's listing, he's like, teach them how to plan for long-term assignments, tell them how they can balance extracurricular activities with their schoolwork, all these things. And there was really no set way to teach them how to do it. And so that's what DOT is. DOT is the entire system that leads kids through how to think through long-term assignments, how to balance and plan their time after school so that they get everything done. So like on those days where, I don't know, maybe you have um, an after-school activity like dance or soccer that takes several hours, one or more than one night a week, it helps your child kind of look at things, right? and be able to figure out that, oh, maybe I shouldn't leave all my homework to Thursday night when I have practice that night. Yes, it prevents the inevitable crying mess of leaving everything until the last minute, which I feel like I as a mom feel sometimes as well. I am like, oh yeah. And seeing your kid being so overwhelmed, it's, it's painful. And it is. that is what DOT seeks to fix. Well, and the other thing I love about it too is that it doesn't necessarily come from you as the parent. No. Like I, there are so many times I have tried to give what I felt was really great advice and support and instruction to my children with a problem they were having. And they just didn't want to hear any of it yeah. because it was coming from me. And they felt like for whatever reason, I wasn't valid to, or I wasn't good enough to give advice on the topic. So when it comes to somebody else like you, right? Yeah, I get it too. It's the teacher effect. I Mm -hmm. use my kids' teachers as well. Yep. To get them to do stuff. So that is the DOT student planning system. You can find out more about it and get it for your child in the link that we have in the show notes. You want mom life to be easier. That's our goal too. Our mission is to raise more self-sufficient and independent kids, and we're going to have fun doing it. We're going to help you delegate and step back. Each episode, we'll tackle strategies for positive discipline, making our kids more responsible, and making our lives better in the process. Welcome to the No Guilt Mom Podcast. Welcome to the No Guilt Mom podcast, Shannon. We are so happy to have you here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And we've been talking a lot about like the green living and being sustainable. And so let's dive in. First, I want to know like what brought you to really wanting to focus on green living and sustainability and teaching that to kids? Well, I've been really passionate about the environment since I was a little kid myself. Um, When I was in about the summer after third grade, I went to Homosassa Spring State Park in Florida with my parents and learned about the manatees and saw them in person. You could actually see them up like face to face because there's a place you can go under the water. It's a big cube, like a big plexiglass cube. I want to go there now. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. Unfortunately, it's not in great shape, as great shape as it was when I was 10, um, because, you know, state funding, Florida. Uh, But you can go down, you actually can see them very up close. And so I absolutely fell in love with them. And then the same day, I found out they were endangered. And so I got really excited in the way that only like a nine or 10 year old can and was like, we're going to save the manatees and convinced my class to adopt a manatee. And with there, it's really neat because you actually adopt an individual manatee because there's individual manatees that live in the park. So we could say, oh, we helped this manatee. That's cool. Really neat. You get a photo of that manatee and they're Aww. neat. 
It's amazing because when reading your book, like I so identified with the whole becoming very passionate about the environment when I was a kid. I think I actually read the same book you did, the hundred things kids can do to say, like I had that, I had it dog-eared. And I remember being very concerned about global warming at the time. And that was the Mm -hmm. 90s. Yeah. And I wanted to do everything. And that's when I started the ecology club at my like very, very small school. Yeah. (laughs) But I could so identify with having like that childhood passion. Um, Mm -hmm. Your passion has stayed with you though into your adult life. So tell us about the book you just wrote for parents and living the green life. Absolutely. It's called Growing Sustainable Together, Practical Resources for Raising Kind, Engaged, Resilient Children. And I wanted to write it because I've always had this deep passion for the environment. It's played off out in my sort of my personal life and my professional life. And I wanted to pass those things on to my children. And it's really about how you can pass not only these kind of green living values and environmental sustainability, but combine that with so many things that modern parents want to teach their children how to be kind, how to be connected to your community and build those relationships with your neighbors that so many people have lost in recent decades, how to be responsible and take on things like household chores. And it turns out there's so much that parents, kids, and families all together can learn and embrace when it comes to these environmental activities. I love that you are connecting the environmental activities with the skills that we want to nurture in our kids, like the self-sufficiency and the doing chores and the becoming responsible. And you have two kids of your own. I do. A seven and a Mm four-year-old. And how are you teaching them these things of self-sufficiency and responsibility while taking care of the environment? Like, how does that look in your house? Yeah. So one of the big ways is our garden. And we have, we grow vegetables this year in particular. We don't grow them very well because the deer ate all our tomato plants almost oh, continuously. No. Oh, no. Um, but it was showing, it was demonstrating resilience to them that, you know, even though there's a problem, we're going to keep trying to do it and we're going to, and we're going to problem solve. That's right. Um, so like you wouldn't go and like buy another plant and plant it in just so the kids wouldn't feel disappointment. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I read that in books about like goldfish that die when the parents go and report. Oh, I it. never it understood that. I don't I don't get it. It doesn't yeah. teach it. Right. Yeah. yeah. My kids know if you don't water the plants, they die. Yeah. If you step on the plants, they die. Life is full of disappointment. You need to face it and then come up with something new and find the positive in it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, or problem so what, solve so it doesn't happen again. Yeah. So how did you guys problem solve that? At first, we were kind of like, oh, well, that's okay. And then they did it again and again. Um, <laughs> of course. Of course. <laughs> and then we got some deer spray and we sprayed them. And then we're actually putting in a new fence. <laughs> so. Okay. There you go. And they got to learn about that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so they're really involved in the garden. They love helping me plant stuff. I sometimes recruit them into weeding. They like just playing in the dirt. And if I can get them to play in the dirt and pull some stuff up while they're doing it, even better. They also are involved in what I call kind of green chores, which is like composting. They come and sometimes they'll help me rip up the newspaper to put in the composter. Others are, well, it's a work in progress, of course, like turning off the lights when you leave the room or things like that. Uh, You know, it requires a lot of repetition and and reminding them. When they were little, I had that be their job and that worked for a while. I think it's worn off a little, but it's a really great way to get little kids feeling empowered. Like they have something important to do and they have a responsibility and it teaches 
these individual actions and talking about how they affect other people is a great way to introduce the idea that the things we do are not just about us. They're about the, you know, your family, about the larger world, about your community, and they have these ripple effects. You know, when we were biking to the pool, and I think I had mentioned at some point, you know, like, oh yeah, we try to bike and walk places and take the bus because it produces less pollution than the car. And we're biking and we're stopped at a stoplight. My son's like, we're not producing any pollution. I'm like, you're right. I'm glad to hear you were paying attention. I think that's really amazing because you bring up a good point. Like in the society that we're in now, I think a lot of us, it's very easy to get sucked into the how my life is just my life and, it, mm-hmm. and it's my business and it's my choice. But like you just said, every choice that we do make, it does have a ripple effect on others. Because I feel like we're so excluded from other people. Like right, it, our I society, mean, the way we are now. It, it's, very, it's not yeah. just the pandemic either. It's before oh. because we're sheltered in like these cars going from place to place and we never get the chance to really interact with other people. Hey, all it is Joanne and Brie here, and we want to tell you about a podcast that you should check out. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Uturbe, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And in this latest season of Understood Explains, it covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. We actually just listened to the episode, IEPs, Does My Child Need an IEP? And here is what we loved about it. I loved that it was so digestible. Like it was such a short episode and all of the topics, which could be really confusing to parents, were easily explained. And I loved how they gave great concrete examples because you know how much I love me a good example. They explained what kind of services and supports you could actually see on a child's IEP or individual education plan. And they explained those acronyms that nothing drives me more crazy than when there's acronyms and I don't get it. I don't know what it stands for. They took the time to explain everything in so much detail and to cover concerns that a lot of families have about special ed services. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains, or just click on the link in our show notes. This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. So, Bri, I remember this one time I was in a bike race around Tucson, and uh, I wasn't paying attention. We were riding down 4th Avenue, and there's railroad tracks, like streetcar tracks, and my bike's tire, like, went and wedged in to the railroad tracks, no. and I totally fell down and just, like, skinned my hands, everything. Ugh. I had nothing with me nothing at all and it's that times where you want a first aid product and you have nothing and active skin repair utilizes a molecule called hypochlorous acid when applied to the skin the molecule works by mimicking the natural immune response to cleanse soothe irritation reduce inflammation and support healing i've used it on my son's mosquito bites and i wish i would have had it the time i totally scraped up my hands 
Oh, I hear you. Like whenever I go paddleboarding, kayaking, I'm always trying to find something that is like an all-in-one that I can take with me. And active skin repair could be used like that. It can be used to treat cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, and other types of skin damage. It's also safe and non-toxic, which makes it suitable for all skin types, all parts of the body, like eczema and acne-prone skin, all of that. With over 500,000 happy customers, thousands of five-star reviews, and ingredients so safe and clean they can be used from the youngest member of the family to the oldest, you now have one simple solution for all of your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order. Use code NOGUILT. Um, I remember in your book, you said about when riding the bike, you always see neighbors out and yeah. you get to say like hi to people. And right. that's a t- that's something that I don't get to do. I do the wave when I go yeah. by them. I think that's a good, I think that's a good point. Because again, a lot of people talk about the garage door society, how like you pull into your garage in this, a lot of the suburban neighborhoods, you know, we pull into our garage and we shut our garage mm-hmm. door. Like we may see our neighbor out there and you might give them the wave and then the garage door goes down. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it really is teaching them that skill that, I just, yeah, I feel like as a society, we don't do enough. But I also feel like it's a hard thing to change because when we talk about biking, I would love to bike more, but the way everything is structured, it makes it very hard to bike. It makes it like, first we're in Phoenix over here. It's like 120. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You really think about that before you go out. (laughs) But like, how do you deal? How do you deal with that in a world that's really not built for the biking and not built for walking and based more on cars and transportation, mm-hmm. how do you shift yeah. over? Well, sometimes you do just have to make a little bit more effort and make time in your day to to do that. Um, for example, we live about a half mile from the grocery store, so we can bike or walk there, but a lot of times we do drive because carrying back a bunch of groceries. My husband's always weird, like DC is very hot. Um, so in the summer, he's like, the milk's going to go bad. But recognizing, okay, it's going to take a little more time, but then that's time that I spend with my kids, you know, walking somewhere 20 minutes. You don't have to think about it as necessarily extra time, quote unquote, but time that you get to spend with your kids. And because everybody's always like, oh, I don't get to spend enough time with my kids, you know? So if you think about it that way, okay, I got out, I walked for a mile. I didn't have to go to the gym. Bonus. And I got to spend time with my kids and I got somewhere. It also does open up those conversations about the roles we play in systems with kids. And in a very concrete way, I think it's very hard even for adults to understand sometimes, like, how does my role in a system contribute to the inequality or the systemic problems of it? And when you look and go, we can't walk anywhere because we don't have sidewalks. You, you understand it really fast. And it's a good way to talk to kids about that. Like, we would walk places, but our city has decided that's not a priority for them. We should write a letter or an email to our city council to ask them to build a sidewalk. You know, so it's a really great way of, okay, you have this problem and you see, I can't do this because we've, our society has decided it's not important. Well, how can we change that? Well, one way we can change that is through activism and through writing to our policymakers and having a kid know that they can talk to the person in charge and they'll listen to them, especially on the local level, is so empowering. And 
most of the time you'll get a response. Yeah, you're totally right too, because I... So we we had a Girl Scout troop. Both of our daughters were in the Girl Scout troop. And we had the hardest time figuring out what we should what advocate do. for. Yeah. yeah. What yeah. we should do because we didn't know the problems in our yeah. community. We didn't know the problems in our society. And you're right. Just by going out and deciding to take a walk to the grocery store or deciding to take a bike ride, you see all the problems that prevent you mm-hmm. from kind of living that more fulfilled life with your community, with your neighborhood. Right. Um, I love that. I, I want to go take a walk right now, but it's one We got the heat advisory notice right before we started this podcast today. Yeah. But you know, I, I wanted to rewind just slightly to one thing you said that's really resonating like a bell in my head. You were talking about just walking or riding your bike to the store and about having that extra time with your kids and about not extra time, having that time with your kids and how you're teaching them. And it resonated with me with another, when we spoke with Laura as well, Mm -hmm. the importance of, feels like when we talk to so many parents, especially moms, we always feel like we're not doing enough when we're spending that time with them. But you just gave a brilliant example of how you got to spend that time with your children and you taught them something, taught them something that is passionate and important to you and that's passionate and important to them. So that time was... That time is good. And I know that a little bit of pushback, because I'm already thinking the pushback for my own kids. If I say we're going to walk to the grocery store, there's going to be a barrage of complaints. Like Mm -hmm. it's going to be a lot of, why do we have to do this? It's so hot. And many parents and myself included would be like, okay, well, the pushback that they're giving to me, it almost makes me not want to do this anymore. Especially when they're older. Like, cause we, we both have, we both have preteens and I feel like they're finding their voice so well. At that age. Yeah. <laughs> do you have any tips? Like, what do you do if your kids are just not into it that day? Um, well, I wouldn't push it that day, maybe, but I think helping them understand what the benefits are to them is great at that age. And this is where responsibility comes in. And when you're talking about transportation in particular, you can say, we're going to walk to the grocery store or bike to the grocery store. And if you can show me that you're responsible enough to do this on your own, then you'll be able to do it and you won't need me to drive you anywhere. Ooh, that is a good point. That freedom that point. of like not having yeah. to challenge me to take them that somewhere. That independence is so important. I talked to um, Carla Salter, who goes by the blog name Bus Check, and she took the bus all over the place as a kid in Seattle, where she still lives as a kid. And she said she was kind of a shy kid. She was a little quiet, but taking the bus was so empowering to her and having to, again, problem solve. Okay, where am I supposed to get off? Oh, oh dear, I missed my stop. What do I do now? Can be really amazing for kids to learn. And it, you know, for preteens and teenagers, if they either you don't have another car for them or they don't have their license yet, gives them the ability to go places. I kind of expect my son, who is now seven, but I expect him to be able to say walk to our town square a mile away by the time he's 10 or 11 and be able to go get ice cream or meet people with his friends. And he's walked it a million times. So he knows it and he can cross the big street because he's done it, you know? So there's also a sense of wayfinding, like literally being able to find your way around your city. Exactly. Yeah, there's some great studies on the fact that kids who bike and walk places actually know where they're going a lot better. They can draw maps. Yeah, that's a really great example. Like, I, So to relate that to a little bit more of a, well, at least my particular environment, my daughter, she pays attention to where we're going. So like, if she goes to a friend's house and that friend's parent has to bring them home, she can direct them to our house. My yeah. son, no idea. No idea. Sometimes I can't even can't even get our full address spit out. It's so I mean it's very scary about that skill that you feel like they should have. 
So it teaches them. It's like you do feel like they should have it. But at the same time, there is a sense of fear, like so much fear because not many people around us are letting their kids go places by themselves. Like it is a very controlled kind of environment where parents feel like they need to drop their kids off at the door to make Mm -hmm. sure they're safe. So then when I, I would love to encourage my daughter, actually, we have a bus route that goes right up the street and it drops her off right in front of her dance studio. I would love to have her take the bus. But the thing that's stopping me, I am so scared. I'm scared of being labeled like an inconsiderate parent. Like I I don't watch after my kid enough or like I'm too lazy Mm -hmm. that I don't drive her to dance class, which is a whole other issue. There's a lot of guilt and judgment. It's a lot of guilt and judgment. Yeah. And mine comes from a fear too, though. Mine comes from a fear of if my kids were ever to get lost, would they be able to find their way home? And so again, teaching them that the area where we're at, understanding I turn this street, I'm down that street, I'm off of these two major roads that they would have a way to figure out how to get back there. Yeah. Like that's... And it's even tougher for particularly, you know, low-income and Black families who are judged more harshly and, and tend to have the police called on, unfortunately, more often when they do those sorts of things. So that's why I think it's so important for us as much as we can to normalize these things because, you know, who else is going to do it to it's an extent? True. And that's yeah. why I like talking about what those values are because people... People want the best for their kids, but they also want to protect them. But so often that protection comes at a cost. It does. The cost of independence, the cost of self-reliance. And then you end up with kids in college who don't know how to do anything. Yeah. I've, I've had stories yeah. of friends who have gone to college out of state and like called their parents three weeks in and they totally dropped out of that school and moved closer to oh, home because they yeah. couldn't handle it. I saw that. Like I went to school, like I grew up in Missouri and I'm just gonna, and I raised my hand when you said about like, you know, aren't able to do things when they off college. Yeah. I didn't know how to do laundry at oh. all. My roommate had to teach me how to do like the first week we were there, I, I panicked and realized I had no idea how to do laundry. Mm-hmm. So that's a very small example, but I know what yeah. you're talking about. We had a, several students where I went to college that because it was a smaller, it was in rural Missouri. And so there were a lot of people that first of all, had never been in a large environment, but then like mm-hmm. you just said, they didn't understand how to do things on their own and being asked to do simple tasks were just too overwhelming. And that was what, 20 years ago, 15, yes. 20 years ago now. Yes. And I hear it's showing my gotten, age. Thank you so much. Not the same age. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> uh, yeah. But it's gotten worse. So I think you're on the right path of like, we have to normalize this behavior again, where kids could go places by themselves, mm-hmm. where they know the life skills. Because I mean, I went places by myself. I remember walking the neighborhood with my friend, Angela, and we walked up to a grocery store and Angela was not the best person to do this with because (laughs) there was a man who was a little like, I'm sure he was homeless at the time, but she antagonized him. Like she started something with him and he started yelling back, understandably. And I just remember my dad, he was coming to pick me up at the time and he drove up and we had to like jump in the car and go away. But that didn't scare me. It's more, I saw it happen and I was like, oh, well, it happened and I'm fine. So I can handle this in the future. And did it impact your dad? Probably. Did it make it more where he didn't want you to go out and do that stuff? Or was he didn't want okay? me to hang around Angela. <laughs> uh, that's probably the better choice, actually. That's probably the better choice. No, my dad is always a, uh, like encouraged independence in me. Probably a little bit too much because I'm like, I'm out of here when I was out of high school. But yeah. but yeah, but I think we do need to normalize that behavior for our kids. Yeah. 
You have probably heard me talk about my dog, Addie, before. And when we first got her, we didn't know that she was a counter surfer. Now, counter surfing animals are the ones who jump on counters, especially kitchen counters, when you're not looking and take stuff off of them. Well, in this instance, Addie had jumped onto the kitchen counter and eaten an entire bottle of my other dog's pain medication. You can imagine the freak out that ensued from me. So imagine this. You're at the vet's office again, knowing that vet care costs continue to rise. You're anxiously waiting to hear how expensive the bill will be. But If you had pet insurance, your pet could be covered for accidents or illnesses. That's why you should check out ASPCA Pet Health Insurance. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program offers customizable accident and illness plans, making it easier for pet parents like you to help your pet get the care that they may need. They allow you to customize the plan, helping ensure that your pet's plan is as unique as they are. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program has been around for over 18 years, and they've helped more than 600,000 pets during that time. Because vet bills can really add up, especially when you're least expecting it. It's simple. Use their app to submit a claim and you'll receive reimbursement for eligible vet bills directly into your bank account. To explore coverage, visit ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash no guilt. That's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash no guilt. Again, that's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash no guilt. This is a paid advertisement. Insurance is underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by PTZ Insurance Agency Limited. The ASPCA is not an insurer and is not engaged in the business of insurance. Hi there. I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts. And in terms of chores, we get whining about chores in our household too. Um, I think every household, right? Yeah. I don't like cleaning. I tell them that. I'm like, I don't like cleaning either, but you know who's going to do it? Everyone because everybody lives in this household. One of the things I thought was super interesting was that there was some anthropological studies that looked at children in cultures that have a very strong emphasis on both self-reliance and interdependence. So it's not like, I got mine, screw you all. It was, we all need to work to take care of ourselves so we can all survive. You know, it was places like the Amazon in Peru. And and particularly indigenous tribes. And 
one of the things they found was that the parents would do the chore with the child until the child had both the skill and confidence to do it on their own. And by doing that in our household, at least, we're able to teach them chores that are like way beyond what they should be able to to do by themselves. But by doing it now, they're learning it. Like I cleaned the bathroom with my four-year-old. And we use like natural ingredients and stuff. So he doesn't get sick, but you know, he knows how to scrub a toilet. I'm not going to let him do it by himself. Yeah. But you know, he knows how to. And then even if he's going to complain about it as a teenager, it's that sense of we're all in it together. We all take care of each other and we all take care of each other by taking care of our our own stuff too. I um, love that. Cause you're teaching that you're also just teaching your children that you believe in them. Mm-hmm. Right. You believe exactly. that they, they have that ability to do it. And it's amazing when you show your children that you do have faith in them and you have faith in their skills and that you're, and when you tell them one thing I'm hearing over and over from you, like we have our no good mom mindset and I'm hearing you talk a lot about your, your kids will learn from their mistakes. Yep. Everyone in this family contributes. You're showing them that you believe in them and that they have that ability to do these things. And I think that is so powerful. Mm-hmm. It's such yeah. a powerful mindset. It's such a yeah. gift we can give to our children. Mm-hmm. And the interdependence alone, like it, it helps with mental health. Yeah. It makes mm-hmm. kids know that they have people that they can rely on, family yes. that they can rely on. And even outside the family, it takes away that fear about letting kids do things on their own yeah. because we've so been drilled into this culture of stranger danger. Like I think our generation yeah. really, yeah. really yeah. bad stranger danger. And that affects our parenting right now, even though when you go out in the world and you're actually there interacting, there's everybody's really great. They're yeah. really great. You, yeah. you do have your times in your place. Like, like you just, you just showed us like a little bit. There's a small portion. Oh, it's so minuscule though. It's so minuscule. Yeah. And it's so easy to spot too. Like, well, nowadays, because everything, it's so easily accessible. You hear about every little thing everywhere. I can't even tell you when I'm on Facebook, the local community groups that you have, like how many oh, posts yeah. you see a day about, oh, I saw a suspicious car or this happened yeah. to my best friend's sister's neighbor. But a lot of and those it are feels, so overblown. I know. Like, it's right. so overblown. But it, it gets that fear going. Yeah. So that's something actually I talk to my kids a lot about too is risk assessment is understanding, okay, there's things that seem really scary, but their chances of happening are so small that we need to be more concerned about the things that maybe they're not as catastrophic, but they're they're more likely to happen. And so with, I have a chapter on outdoors volunteerism and being outdoors and being connected to community through things like beach cleanups and stream cleanups and planting trees and all that sort of stuff. And one thing that being outdoors helps kids learn is risk assessment, specifically of if I climb across this log, am I going to fall? How high of a tree could I climb? How sure-footed am I? And it helps kids learn understand their own bodies better and what the risks of those things are. Again, develop independence and confidence and being out there and being able to see what's a big risk, what's a small risk. And we kind of talk them through, well, okay, this is why this is a big risk or this is why this is a small risk. And then, so this is not really... It's just a good story. We like good so stories. My son now can forever say that he has saved his potentially saved his mother's life. Oh, um, wow! We were hiking last weekend and talking about big and small risks. And this is why he's—it's a little odd, but we're hiking last weekend and just in like the local county park, and we're—it's down this narrow trail. And he goes, "What is that?" And I go, "What? Oh, it looks like an interesting rock formation." He's like, "No, no." no what is that? I look and go, 
let's back up, let's back up, let's back up. It was a copperhead snake. Oh gosh. In the middle of the trail. Oh right? my God. Which like, thank God he saw it. Cause I mean, it was a big honking snake, but it was also, you know, kind of the same color as the trail. And, and they, my kids have a tendency to run down the trail, but now he knows that one, yes, we did face a big risk that is pretty rare, but we were able to handle it and we did not get hurt. And just because you see these things does not mean death. You know, we were able to handle them and we had a great day the rest of the day. It's, it wasn't like we abandoned ship and went home. We went and explored a whole bunch of other trails. And going outside and that level of unpredictability evolved with it, like adapting to the weather, things like that mm-hmm. are really valuable life lessons for kids. Because again, they learn how to, to problem solve, how to think flexibly. Thinking flexibly is a really big struggle for him. And I, I think that helped him a lot. Being outside and solving those problems has helped him a lot in that area. I can totally see how it would reduce anxiety too about the world and about like that catastrophic yeah. thinking about things happening. Mm-hmm. Because when you go out and you experience it and you can handle it, you get that confidence yeah. that everything's okay and yeah. I can do this. Right. I love that. Because it, it kind of comes back to that whole thought process of like, we've find our role as parents to protect mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. to to protect and teach our children. And we can only protect them so much. We know that the world's going yeah. to have rough choices. And there's going to be a time... We want them to eventually be able to leave from us mm-hmm. and have that skill set, like you're saying, the flexible thinking, the problem-solving skills. But sometimes our protection... You know, it stunts that. It does. Yeah, it does exactly. stunt that. What is something that like people can do, what parents can do right now that will get them on the road to doing more outdoor stuff and building these skills in their kids? Yeah, just getting out there and appreciating nature. You don't have to go to a national park. You don't have to go camping if you don't want to. You can just you know, even if you go on a walk or around your backyard, for goodness sake, let them dig in the dirt and not worry about getting messy. Have them go up to a tree and get their nose close to it and look really closely at the bark and, oh, there's an insect, but that's cool, isn't it? So just encourage that lack of fear that children naturally have towards nature. Because I think so often, so much when kids are afraid of nature or they're nervous about it, it's because we've taught them to be. Mm-hmm. And there's some kids who are naturally nervous, you know, but nature is actually been shown to have positive effects on anxiety, on calming everybody, not just children. So it's really great for adults. I feel it. Mental health too. Oh my gosh. Um, When I go out in the woods with no cell mm -hmm. signal, that like all the stress goes and I'm like, whoa, I need this more often. Yeah. We, uh, our family goes once a year on a uh, trip to like a cabin up North here in Arizona where it's a little bit cooler. And we always have trouble with the cell signals, but you know what? Everybody loves it. It's great. It's yeah. so peaceful and yeah. nobody cares. Like I'll, my kids will be on their phones when they're here, but then once we get out there, nope, except to take pictures. You don't feel like so. you need to be busy. You don't need to be productive. You don't have to worry about responding to people. Like, yeah. Yeah. There's actually some research that shows that nature helps you feel like you're away in a way that nowhere inside really does. It helps focus attention and restore attention, especially in kids and and probably adults who struggle with that, like who have ADHD and other attention deficit or other executive function disorders. So it's really restorative and calming in terms of your emotional stability. Well, there's also this study that like just looking outside reduces your stress levels, which I find interesting. Yeah. If like they did, they had people work in an office and some had like a window and some didn't. And the people who yeah, that's true. Stare out the window, that's, they're much calmer. And- that's 100% true. Like I can think about it from my last work environment. Like I had one that had absolutely no windows and it drove me bonkers. And then where I was at my last job, I would 
when you were stressed, I would just take a moment, get up, look outside, and it did make me feel a lot better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I've been taking my computer out to my deck and sitting on my deck, even though it's hot as hell. It's still hot. <laughs> I know. I get that. I have a back porch. I do the same. And I'm like so hot and so sweaty. And my kids come out and they're like, it's so hot out here. I'm going back inside. I'm like, okay, that works. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. We do have some of that in our house too. (laughs) Yeah, they do. Going to like this mom guilt area. Mm -hmm. I was looking through your blog, which is amazing. Thank you. Make sure I don't massacre this title. We'll eat you up. We love you so. Yes. It's named after the where the wild the line and where the wild things are. That's okay. Max. That's awesome. You write this post about blame and this thought process that you had that if you could just blame someone for a problem, uh, they would learn their lesson and not do it again. And how you kind of conquered that. Can you talk a little bit about like what your thought process was that changed that line of thinking for you? Yeah, well, I, I talked about this in the post, but obviously people won't have read it. <laughs> I watched a really great Brene Brown video where she talks about blame and like all great things Brene Brown, she talks about it Brene in Brown. her own yes. context and how she has been guilty of this. And she tells a story about how she dropped a cup of coffee that shattered and splatted all over her white pants one morning. And then somehow within 0.5 seconds, figured out a way to blame her husband for it. <laughs> <laughs> and then she realized this is terrible and that doesn't make any sense and that didn't solve the problem. And so instead of just pointing the finger and shaking it at somebody, again, it comes back to problem solving and to jointly taking responsibility and saying, okay, in some cases, yes, it was someone's fault and we will help you take responsibility. We're going to give you the skills so you can learn how to take responsibility. Maybe you made this giant mess and you're staring at it now and you don't know where to start. Okay, I'll help you and I'll help guide you through it. Or maybe we don't know who caused this problem and instead we're all just going to work together and you know jointly take responsibility. And okay, maybe maybe we do know who did it and they won't admit to it, but we're going to jointly work together and take this right. responsibility. I feel like that circles back a lot to environmental issues as yeah. well. Because yeah. there's so much of us that either we want to blame other people exactly. for the issues happening in the environment and we take ourselves out of it and we don't see the impact that we as individuals can have. Yeah, exactly. 100%. Yeah, yeah. There, there's a lot of that. Yeah, it's really tough with the environmental issues like climate change in particular, because on one hand, everybody is involved in it. And on the other hand, well, maybe three hands. (laughs) (laughs) On the other hand, there are these systems that we talked about that make it harder for people. And if we change the systems and if we value things as a society in terms of sustainability, it would be a lot easier. And then there also are some people who are disproportionately, you know, more more responsible than others. But honestly, we can change our own behavior. We can try to change our systems. For people who are in like massive amounts of power, say like celebrities or politicians, we can harass them into changing their behavior. Like not um, taking a 747 say, everywhere. <laughs> right, right. But just saying, yeah. oh, it's their fault. And then being like, eh, well, I can't do anything then. Yeah, like, right. power away. <laughs> and it's very disempowering. Yeah, it's the same mindset that's frustrating to us. Mm-hmm. Like when we see other people be act like they're not making changes, well, we're not doing our part either. Right, right. And like I said, it's very disempowering even. Like, well, I can't do anything about it then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, no, no. There's things everybody can do. And different people are going to have different capabilities to do different things. You know, there's some people who 
there was a really big controversy in the environmental world a while back about banning plastic straws because there are, and and one of the the complaints about it was that the people are like, oh, let's just ban them. Nobody needs them. It's fine. And a lot of people who are disabled were like, actually, I need a plastic straw. I need to be able to have this to be able to drink things when I'm not at home ever. And it's really hard to clean them, which I've tried to clean the reusable ones. They're really hard. I just prefer to go without. <laughs> I have a little um, brush. I have a metal one. I, I, yeah, I, I keep losing mine. Like, Or it's like so dried in. I'm like, eh. <sighs> But I think the thing is, it's just you have to do what you are most capable of and hopefully what you're most passionate about and what your family enjoys doing. And that's going to be different for everybody. Everybody's going to have different needs, going to have different life skills, going to have different responsibilities. And if you can find where you fit in that sort of broader context and how you can contribute uniquely or how you can contribute in a way you really enjoy that it's not a chore, it's not a hassle, or maybe it's a little extra work, but it's something that you still appreciate, mm-hmm. then that's going to be really powerful for both you and your family. So what I'm hearing is that you really need to kind of search for your passion about where you are passionate about. You don't have to do everything because I feel like this need yeah. to do everything. I think I feel it too, especially where within the issues of climate change and recycling, producing so much waste, having so much stuff. Like I see all of it kind of coming on at me all at once. And then it just creates this inaction because you get Over, so overwhelmed. Overwhelmed and so much guilt yes. of like, I'm not, if I can't do it all, then I'm not doing it. And I can't do enough. Yeah. So what's the point of doing anything? Mm-hmm. That's the thought process. And that was actually what led, so speaking of mom guilt, that was exactly what led to me writing the book was I was continuously struggling with both mom guilt. I'm at work too much and I can never take a break and I still don't have enough time with my kids and I'm not doing the right things when I'm doing them and da, 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 everybody knows that horrible line of thinking. And then we all have it. Guilt, yeah. Even um, though you're telling us all these amazing things you are doing with your kids yes. on a regular basis, right, right. to know that, that you still experience it too. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's great. Well, absolutely. Yeah. And this green guilt of, you know, I'm telling other people how to be green and I'm not green enough. And I produce, you know, you see these like, we're like, I produce a mason jar of garbage. Oh my gosh. Like, I've seen that. I'm like, how is that possible? <laughs> no. Don't get discouraged by them. We don't, we don't all have to be them. Oh um, I think and, that they get, you know, they get a joy out of that, that not everybody else gets. So yes. That, that is, fuels think, them. and that's their thing. And good that's for thing. them. Fabulous. But I'm, I was sitting on a beanbag chair in my basement, which is finished and reading a different parenting book. The wonderful, there's no such thing as bad weather which is by a fellow blogger. It's about getting outside and the benefits of getting outside with your kids and the Swedish lifestyle because she's Swedish. And I guess kind of had like one of those cartoon light bulb moments where I was like, wait a minute, the mom guilt and the green guilt, like they are not, these are two things that, that I can both make not go away. They're never going to go away, but I can resolve them somewhat. This feeling of I'm taking time away from my kids to do these things, except for the fact that these things are things that are good time spent with my kids. These are things that are valuable for my kids. These are the things that are teaching my kids the values I want to teach them and the skills I want to teach them. And that's where the book came from, was understanding that there was no conflict between being a good mom and a green mom, that they were, they can be one and the same and that there's so much value when you look at the intersection of them. And especially when you look at the intersection of how does environmental issues, how can you use those to reflect on your larger place in the world? So tell everybody where they can find your book. 
Uh, pretty much anywhere you can buy books. It's on the Penguin Random House website, even though it's published through North Atlantic Books, but Penguin Random House is the distributor. So if you search Growing Sustainable Together, it'll come up. I'm not going to make a promo for anybody, but bookshop.com does benefit your local bookstore. So your local independent bookstore. So that's always a really good option, I think. IndieBound also, that's also benefits independent bookstores. That is awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much yes, for coming on. You. We learned so we learned about green living and how we can do it very, very doably. I want to say doably. That's I, not a word. I already have thoughts in my head okay, about my, things I'm going to be doing differently. I want to feeling empowered. Yes. Yay. I feel thank like this you. was very empowering. So thank you so much. And uh, we'll talk to you later. Thank you. I loved talking with Shannon. Oh, I know. You know what? I was just, she, I, I want to, I want her to join our mom crew. Yeah. You said that right after we got off the interview love, with her. She's the kind of gal I would love to sit down and have a happy hour with. Just yeah. the conversations that would come up would be so, so rich. I love that. What I really loved is I, she has so many great ideas for how to teach kids to live like more environmentally friendly, but she's also very real about it. Mm-hmm. She's like, no, like these are great things to start in your home, but also know it's not perfect at all. And that you don't have to do everything. You had a really great question you asked her there at the end was like, well, let's talk about the mom guilt that people feel about, you know, not being green enough. Mm -hmm. And she was like, I get that. I, cause I get, I get mom guilt too, but you know what? Being green and being a good mom or having mom guilt and green guilt, there's no difference. They're all the same. Yeah. So like, it's okay. You're good no matter what degree of green you're doing. And everyone has that guilt. Even people that are achieving way higher on their goals of being more green than some of us. Well, one thing like we mentioned in this interview was all the trash in the jar. Have you ever heard about these families? No, but my eyes like about popped out of yeah. my head when you guys are talking about it. It's a like mason you, jar oh, worth? Yeah, they have a mason jar's worth of waste a year. A year. I'm happy when I get down to two trash bags a week. No, yeah. <laughs> and like here, here you are, you're hearing that. And then you're unwrapping your big like haul from Costco. And I would say the wrapping alone is enough mm. to fill the garbage can. Or like you get takeout and that's enough right. to fill the garbage can. And you think about mason jar. Like my takeout container wouldn't even fit in a mason jar. No, no. So yeah, I don't even... But when you compare yourself to that kind of ideal, yeah, of course we're stuck and we won't like try anything new to be more sustainable because we're measuring ourselves against this level of perfection that most people don't need to attain. Right. And it's just like you just said, not only that we can't necessarily attain it or that we don't need to, but it just makes it seem insurmountable. Yes, I, if I if I can barely make it like one inch up that mountain, then why am I even going to try? And yeah. and Shannon had a really great like, just try. It's fun. It's fun. Find your passion. Find what you are passionate about, and just go with that. Yeah, like find that piece, and that's what you roll with. I I like the whole teaching kids to learn transportation and public transportation. Yeah. Even though you know the fear, the fear is big. It is big. It's real. Partly because. I haven't ridden on a city bus for, gosh, I can't even remember the last time I rode on a city bus here in town. But in all fairness, not every city has the same public transportation as others. That is so true. Some cities, it's a little bit more difficult than others. Yes. But, but that shouldn't keep you from doing it though. Like I have had a goal, like a, the light rail came into our city a few years ago and I've been wanting to get on it. I've never actually ridden the light rail. You've ever ridden the light rail? No. Okay, that is something that is fun. 
That's okay. totally fun. And the, it's actually very safe. So I guess this really plays into the, you need to experience it to not have the fear. I think that's a good life lesson for everything. Yeah. Like yeah. when I ride the light rail, I see that the light rail security, they are walking through that car. Every trip I see security, every single trip. And the cars are always very clean. And it's just, when you do it, you know it and you don't fear it. Right. I think one thing that she was talking about that the fear definitely came in was she was talking about her kids being able to, uh, not not that her kids do because her kids are very little, but that she envisions that they're going to be able to do public transportation and things like that on their own once they get a little bit older mm-hmm. because they've done it their whole lives, which I think is, again, it's a mind shift from where, from not only where I was brought up, but from the uh, day-to-day life that I live with my children. And then again, when we talked about that, how, oh gosh, you know, that's kind of crazy. Because I do agree with, I think it's important for my children to know transportation and know where they're at and be able to understand where they are in their community. It's obtainable though. It's something that we can try. And if it's important to you that your children realize that, like, what is that extra 30 minutes? It's time spent with your family. It is. Telling a joke. It is. Playing a game. I have to say, it makes my heart beat just a little bit faster thinking that I have to spend an extra 30 minutes on something when I could be getting something else done. But I think that's just the mindset I operate on. And uh, it's the need to do everything and all the things and be in control of everything, which isn't the most healthy. I totally admit that. Well, I think it's also important to be able to see the, and I I think you do see this a lot at the moment right now, you're not, but seeing the value in just that time with your kids. Yes. Whether or not it's spent watching a TV show on the couch or taking a ride on the local transportation, Mm -hmm. like, it's still that time you're getting. That is true. I find like the best time I've had with my kids this whole year was when we were traveling and we were, you know, we were in Germany and we were riding all the public transportation there. And it took us a long time to get around, but that was a part of the adventure. Yeah. Like riding the the subways and the U-Bahns and like that's, part of it. I will say like we've gone around in this last, so again, during the whole COVID environment where we couldn't really go anywhere, you'd hop in the car sometimes and just drive around. And yeah, my kids really enjoyed getting to see parts of town that they had never seen before because we just never either had a reason to drive over that way or the time. I was always like, well, we don't have time to go. Where are you going to go now, man? We got lots of time. Yeah. So all the time really in the world. It's really fun, the things that they can explore and find and the things that you had no idea existed. Yeah. So hopefully this conversation, it, I know it gave me a bit of hope of other areas I can explore with my kids. Oh, it gave me all kinds of like, I've got some really great ideas of things I want to start doing with my kids here in the next year of like, just because with me, I have to start small and mm-hmm. work my way up. I think that's plans. a good, good plan of action for everybody. Yes. The big plans always go and they like dive bomb. I know. Little steps. We'll do Little this steps. and then this and then we'll do that. So yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. So I hope that you all enjoyed our conversation with Shannon Brescher-Shea. Make sure to go pick up her book. We will put a link in the show notes. And while you are there in the show notes, make sure to hit that subscribe button. We would so love to be able to talk to you every single week. And if you have a few minutes, if you could uh, rate and review the podcast, that makes a difference in getting it out to more people and getting this message of being a no guilt mom, really to be kind of like the main thought process for moms. Wouldn't that be wonderful? No guilt for every mom. Every mom, like you say no guilt and everybody, every mom knows like our six mindset. Yeah. Like, yes. Yes. The freedom. So 
We hope to hear from you soon. If you have any feedback for our show, email us. Email us at hello at noguiltmom.com. We'd love to hear suggestions for guests or anything that you like in the podcast or anything that you want to see changed in the podcast. And with that, remember that the best mom's a happy mom. Take care of you. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play, and we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.